Matthew 12, 18. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. Until he has led justice to victory, the nations will put their hope in him. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to have your word, and we are grateful to have your spirit with us. Please send your spirit to do work in our hearts. You know our hearts, and you know where our needs are, and you know what we need to hear this morning. So please give us exactly what we need from your word. Show us our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Cause our minds to understand, bend our wills to obey, change our emotions, and give us joy in submitting ourselves wholly to your word. Help us to find our satisfaction this morning, not in what we might do, but in all that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done on our behalf. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Think for a moment about people that you know who have exceptionally strong personalities. Isn't it true that you sometimes wish that perhaps they had a little more compassion? Now think for a moment about people that you know who are more mild-mannered and easygoing. Isn't it true that sometimes you wish they had more resolve, more grit, more backbone? I am really glad that the skin on the bottom of our feet becomes thick, because a thin-skinned foot would never survive an assault by a Lego. But what if our lips were as calloused as our feet? Kissing would be gross. There is just no way around that. Kissing would be gross. I'm not sure we would want to look at one another. And uh, if you drink coffee, you would end up burning burning your whole mouth all the time because you wouldn't be able to sip your coffee and feel it on your lips. You wouldn't know how hot it was before you took a big gulp of it. Jesus perfectly unifies what we tend to separate. Jesus is strong and he is kind. Jesus is powerful and he is gracious. He is mighty and he is gentle. Gentleness 
is the fruit of a heart that has been redeemed by the Savior, strong enough to go to the cross and gentle enough to take your place there. This week I learned about the Syriac New Testament. This was a whole new thing to me. I had never heard of this. The Syriac New Testament is a translation of the New Testament that is in this very closely related to the dialect of Aramaic that Jesus would have spoken. Okay? So if Jesus had read the New Testament, which he didn't, you're all following the, guy, the timeline there, right? Jesus never had the New Testament. Had Jesus read the New Testament, the Syriac New Testament is the closest that would have resembled the dialect that he spoke. Look at how the Syriac New Testament renders these verses from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are forced to bear burdens, and I will rest you. For I am restful, and you will find rest for yourselves." I am restful. Most of our English translations uh, give us the word gentle there for the word restful. We get the word gentle. Uh, The CSB says lowly. But I like this. And it made me think. And it turned my attention to Jesus. Gentleness is strength that refuses to exploit weakness. Are you tired? Do you feel burdened? You may come to Jesus, not just to get rest. You may come to Jesus because he is restful. You will find rest in Jesus. I wonder, do those around you feel at rest in your presence? Or perhaps do you make people kind of tense up? A gentle person is reasonable. A gentle person is mindful of his own limitations and the limitations of others. A gentle person does not go around like a know-it-all. He doesn't act like he can fix everything. A gentle person understands that an individual may be responding the way they are because they are suffering. It may not be because of sin in their heart. gentle person is decisive without being domineering. A gentle person is not so strongly opinionated that others are afraid of sharing their opinion. A gentle person doesn't threaten by saying, if you're not with me, you're against me, or make ultimatums like it's my way or the highway. 
In fact, gentleness does not demand a place at the decision-making table. And it doesn't need to be in the room where it happens. Gentleness means not using words like a club. It means you don't say what needs to be said and just let the chips fall where they may. Gentleness avoids unnecessarily blunt or extreme or dogmatic language. And when a gentle person must wound with words, they are also careful to build back up, to bind up with encouragement and affirmation. A gentle person encourages others to change their mind by humble persuasion, not by domination, not by intimidation, not by manipulation. humble person doesn't retaliate when provoked and doesn't resent those who continue to disagree. A humble person doesn't see others as enemies to be crushed or problems to be solved or critics to be corrected or blemishes to be covered up. Gentle person won't raise their voice just to make a point or to prove that they mean business. Moms and dads, I think this one might get close to home, right? Sometimes we raise our voices to demonstrate who's in charge. Those who are gentle don't make you feel like you are walking on eggshells around them. You won't feel belittled or berated or bullied. Instead, you will feel at rest. More secure, less anxious, more calm, less nervous, more comforted, less condescended. Gentle people are restful like Jesus. What is gentleness? Gentleness is strength that refuses to exploit weakness. This reminds me of a character that we met during our first preaching series of 2021. It's an Old Testament character. Ruth is poor, and she is barren, and she is a widow, and not only all of that, she is a foreigner. She is not a member of the covenant community. And she returns with Uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem, and she is bent under the weight of life's burdens. The Scripture introduces us to Boaz this way. This is Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. The ESV gives us worthy instead of prominent and noble. It gives us worthy. We're intended to understand that Boaz was very likely wealthy. He was influential 
We know from later on in chapter 2 that he was a follower of the law of Yahweh. He was honorable. He was a well-respected member of the community. Now, Ruth is weak, and Boaz is strong. The gap between them, the, the power dynamic between them could not be greater. In God's providence, Ruth gleans in the field of Boaz. And though she is a poor foreigner, Boaz takes note of Ruth. It would have been nothing for him to disregard her. She is poor, she's a widow, she's barren, she's a foreigner, she doesn't belong here, she's only here to take. Boaz does not disregard Ruth, he notices her. He does something remarkable that I didn't notice when we preached through this earlier this spring. He, he invites Ruth to be alongside the women. Now, I missed this before, and that's on me. What's going on here when he says, you can, you can be among, my, among the women? Well, the women were those who would come and would chop down the grain, and then the dudes would come, and they would bundle up the grain into the sheaves, right? So Boaz says to Ruth, you don't have to wait around until the guys have come and bundled up all of the grain, and all that's left is just whatever they didn't grab. You come right with the women who are cutting the grain, and you take as much as you want right off of the top of the pile. Boaz gives Ruth access to water. He protects her by telling his men not to hurt her, not to berate her, not to harm her. He provides her a meal, and he eats with her. And he sends her home with the leftovers. Rather than emphasizing the social distance between himself and Ruth, Boaz elevates her standing. He affirms her personhood. He encourages her in her selfless service to Naomi. And he celebrates that she has come to the God of Israel to find refuge. Now, why would a prominent man, a wealthy man, a well-respected man like Boaz, pay attention to a poor, barren widow who is also a foreigner. Because Boaz is gentle. He is strong and he refuses to exploit weakness. Boaz makes Ruth feel at rest in his presence. And Boaz should remind us of Jesus, the restful one. 
Jesus is God and he is man. We need to be very clear about this. Jesus is not half God and half man. Jesus is fully God and entirely human. Two natures wrapped up into one person. That is our Savior, Jesus. Now, in his divine nature, Jesus is always one with the Holy Spirit. But in his humanity, God anointed his son, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus can live joyfully, fruitfully, and faithfully before God. Because God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Jesus is God's divinely divinely appointed Spirit-anointed, well-loved servant. Think of all that Jesus could get done by the strength of his personality. Just because of who he is, think of all he could accomplish. Think of what he could crush and dominate and conquer along the way. But Jesus is gentle. He is strong, but refuses to exploit weakness. Jesus never organizes a mob. He never leads an insurrection. He doesn't kindle the pent-up emotions of the people. Even when the people, remember in John 6, they're rallying and they want to make him king. Jesus refuses political power. In fact, it's so fascinating. He avoids self-promotion and quiets excitement about his miracles. Verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry aloud nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. What is a bruised reed? A bruised reed is a damaged plant, and if you, if you touch it just one more time, it's going to break off, something that will be ruined with the slightest touch. Think about a bubble or a house of cards, or ladies, if this is helpful, think about your nail polish. The slightest touch 
ruins it. That's what Isaiah is talking about, and that's what Matthew picks up on here in this quotation about Jesus. A bruised reed, something that will be damaged and destroyed by the slightest touch. Jesus won't destroy it. He won't ruin it. What is a smoldering wick? Well, it's a candle, a lantern, if you will, that's just about ready to go out. The wick is right at the level of of the wax or the oil or whatever. You're not going to repair that wick. You're just going to throw it away and you're going to get a new wick or a new candle. This is how we end up with dozens of candles in your house, right? Not just because they smell nice, but because they kind of burn their way down. You don't really want to throw it away because it's still got some life left in it. But you know, it's just a smoldering wick down there. Think about how we treat socks. You don't repair your socks. I don't think many of us do. I hope that doesn't alien anybody. Maybe somebody still repairs their socks. It has a word I'm not going to use here for now. But you might go ahead and repair your socks. Most of us, when we get holes in our socks, either just wear them. I know that's a thing. Or we throw them out with the smallest hole, which is what I do. I don't like the way it feels when my heel drags across the floor. It's like a smoldering wick. It's not useful anymore. We're not going to try to repair it. We're just going to throw it away and replace it. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't look at a smoldering wick and say, that has no value to me. Get rid of it and I'll just replace it with another Jesus is full of tender compassion for all. And he is particularly drawn to those who are bruised and damaged by life. Those who are just about ready to break. One more thing, and that's going to be the end of you. Jesus is particularly drawn to those, those bruised reeds. Jesus cares for the most vulnerable, for those who feel ignored, for those who feel like they don't fit in with the rest of the group, for those who consistently just feel like they're an outsider. Jesus is for you. If you feel like you have only a flicker of faith, you should know this. Jesus is for you. He will bring justice. Jesus will be victorious. But not by beating humanity into submission but by being beaten by humanity and by his Father for sin. That's how Jesus is going to have the victory. By laying down his life, going to the cross, staying there, suffering at the hands of the Father.
Jesus' gentleness is more than a model for us to follow. His gentleness is the very heart of the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For while we were still, what? Weak. When we were about ready to be broken off, when there was no value left in us, we're like a smoldering wick. Others would just throw us away and replace us while we were still weak. Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus responds to sin this way, with forgiveness instead of shame. How does that sound? Jesus responds to sin with grace instead of demands. He responds to sin with mercy instead of judgment. He responds to sin with love instead of rejection. Dear child of God, my brother, my sister, you may be feeling this way. I don't know if I can go on one more day. Jesus will never say, you're right, I'm done with you. He will never say that. He won't kick you while you're down. He is sensitive to every bruise that you bear. And he knows exactly how to apply his power to your weakness. There is no wound that Jesus doesn't treat with the utmost care. Come to Jesus. He is restful and will give you rest. Gentleness is the fruit of a heart redeemed by the Savior, strong enough to go to the cross, and gentle enough to willingly take your place there. Since Jesus is gentle, a lack of gentleness is a sin. guy named George Bethune wrote this in 1839. If it was true then, it's even more true now. Look at what he says. Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition. In other words, some people are just more easygoing than others. It is rather is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition than as a Christian virtue, and seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is a sin. As the Holy Spirit convicts us, I pray that we will respond with repentance. And I wonder if we might take this one step further because this seems like the type of virtue 
gentleness, and it seems like the type of vice, the type of sin, a lack of gentleness, that we may all have blind spots to. So I wonder if we would take this a step further this week and find some people who know us well and just ask a simple question, am I gentle? Do you feel restful around me, or do I make you feel tense? How could you feel more at rest when I come around? I wonder if we could do that this week. I wonder if we would be bold and brave enough to ask that question of one another. We have a great high priest, church. He has passed through the heavens. It's Jesus, the Son of God. He treats sin with forgiveness and not shame. We can treat one another the same way. He treats, for, he treats sin with mercy and not judgment. We can treat one another the same way. He treats sin with grace and not demands. We can treat one another the same way. I pray that the Holy Spirit makes us more gentle like Jesus. And I pray He makes me more gentle like Jesus. And I hope that that's not just right now while we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. But I hope that he continues to make me more like Jesus and you, child of God, more like Jesus in an ongoing, increasing, God-glorifying way. Should we pray about it? Let's do that. Perhaps you would take a moment right now and confess where confession is necessary. Invite the Holy Spirit to do work in your heart as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, as He grants repentance. I urge you to repent, ask for forgiveness, and receive the forgiveness that is yours because of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's do that together in private right now.